Hello and welcome to another episode of A Positive Podcast. Today is Hey Teves, the fifth day of the month of Teves, and in honor of Hey Teves, which is a Hasidic holiday, a Hasidic yamtiv, I share with you all this special episode with these two incredible and wise women, Mrs. Sarah Morozov and Mrs. Rivka Slanem. And I purposely released this episode today earlier than usual on Hey Teves, which is also called A Yamtiv of the Books. And one of the ways that we celebrate this special day is by purchasing new Sfarim, new books for our homes and for our home library. So I would like to suggest the perfect book for your library, which is called Holy Intimacy by Sarah Morozov and Rivka Slanem. And this book is available to be purchased on Amazon and it's on sale today. So you can click on the link in Amazon, just put in Holy Intimacy and it'll come up. As we all know, intimacy is vital to an authentic marital relationship and it profoundly affects each of us in a deep and meaningful way. And bringing this ever important subject to the forefront of Jewish conversation, Sarah Marazov and Rivka Slanem really beckon the reader to join them in an exploration of the spiritual side to intimacy. They expertly weave together Torah, Halacha, Hasidus, and psychology, and they imbue the conversation with inspirational insights and practical advice. They have an empathetic emphasis on contemporary issues from the effect of social media on a couple's intimacy to the dangers of pornography and other forms of objectification of women's bodies, from the importance of female sexual pleasure to scientific breakthroughs regarding regarding fertility. And this groundbreaking book is a vital and inspirational read for women of all ages. No matter what your level of observance and your Jewish background, this book will be interesting to you. And in today's episode, I sit down and I discuss all things intimacy, marriage, and relationships with these two amazing women. And they both show up in this conversation in a real authentic way. They share honestly from their hearts and from their own life experiences. And I truly enjoyed my time discussing these important questions and gaining insight from them both. And I think you're going to find today's episode to be insightful and interesting as well. If you would like to sponsor an upcoming episode in honor of a loved one or a family member or just a special occasion or just because you love this podcast, you can reach out to me through my website, apositivecoach.com, or you can email me directly at razel at jewishpeabody.com. If you would like to set up a free session with me to hear about positive coaching, what it is, and why it might be a good fit for you, please check out my website or reach out through Instagram at apositivecoach. And thank you again for listening. And for those of you who take the time to email me and share how much you gain from this podcast, it really means a lot. And I love the feedback. So let's get right into it. Here is episode 42 of A Positive Podcast. So sit back, relax, and be ready to grow. Thank you, Rifka Slanim and Sarah Maraza for being willing to come on today's podcast. I was recently made aware by one of my sister-in-laws of this new book that you both co-authored, which is titled Holy Intimacy. And I have to tell you that I found it quite fascinating how the topic really runs the gamut. You have questions um, on intimacy. You discuss women's body parts and their functions, hygiene tips, questions about hair covering, explaining just basic ideas of what a bodecus is, how to detect abuse. You really cover so many things in this book. So I, I really found that to be quite fascinating. But before we get into the book or the questions I have, can you please, each of you, introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourselves for the listening audience. Okay. My name is Sarma Razov. I live in Crown Heights. I taught Collis for over 20 years, maybe even more than that. And then I came to the very important realization from feedback from my callus that getting ready for marriage is way too late to begin to discuss these very vital topics from the emotional perspective, from the practical perspective, from the Torah perspective. And my passion is still to educate people on the beauty of Torah and the beauty of a Torah marriage and a beauty of Torah intimacy at ages, um, age appropriate. So I taught in high school for many years in 12th grade. I did a program for 10th grade and now I'm in seminary, but education is key. My name is Rifka Slanim and together with my husband, Rabbi Aaron Slanim, uh, I have been at Chabad of Binghamton, the Rohr Chabad Center for Jewish Student Life at Binghamton University since 1985. 
Um, I think you could say that my public speaking began with a lark. Um, one Shabbos, my husband was going to the Kinnis Hashluchim and I stayed behind and I thought to myself, I'm not just going to do nothing. So I decided I'm going to do a Friday night dinner just for my girls. What would girls like to speak about? Sex, love, and marriage. And uh, it was a great success. It's something I've continued for all the years. So going to 36 or 37 years, I've been doing that Friday night. And at some point, somebody heard about what I did and asked me to come speak in their, in their community and things kind of just took off from there. So I've been doing public speaking on the topic of mikvah, tars, mishpacha, relationships, education, and a whole wide gamut of other uh, topics as well. Um, that eventually led to me doing a book on mikvah called Total Immersion. Um, I speak on the intersection of Jewish women and Jewish law, which led to another project called Bread and Fire. Um, and this was something that I felt had to happen for a very long time. Um, basically, just getting rid of the false dichotomy between human sexuality and Torah mitzvahs. And uh, Sarah and I are not only first cousins, but friends. And we often get together and talk about things and discuss and argue and circle back and so on and so forth. And both from her particular vantage point and from mine, which uh, you would think on the face of it are both very, very different uh, perspectives and different demographics. And uh, in Tralia, as part of my work on campus, I have been teaching a Hilchonita course for my girls every semester for over 30 years. Uh, where I go through all the laws of Taras and Mishpacha. None, well, very, if ever, once in a while, you can have a girl that's engaged, but most of the time, it's not girls that are engaged or getting married anytime soon. And uh, we talked about how important it was to put out information that was honest, that was healthy, that was holistic, that was um, down to earth, but rooted in heaven. We actually played with the topic with Roots in Heaven for our book for a very long time. We played with that with that title. I just want to add that um, I do run a college teacher training course for college teachers all over the world for several years under mikvah.org. And that only engages a limited population in these very important topics. So I decided, like, we're not going to wait till somebody's a college teacher comes to college classes, somebody meets up with their aunt who's a college teacher. This book is going to be out there for every young lady that's interested in the topic instead of searching on Instagram and finding all kinds of beautiful or not so beautiful information or misinformation. Here they have it from the lens of Chassidus, which is also very important because there is information out there. And the beauty of this book is that dimension of that we, I, I don't know how much you read of the book, but definitely there's a heavy dose of Chassidus, the outlook of Chassidus. Yes. Um, I actually did get through a lot of it, not all of it. It is, uh, it's a big book. It's got a lot of information in there and I ordered it on Amazon. I'm going to include that in the show notes. So if anybody wants to order it, they should definitely order it. It was, it came really quick too, which I was very happy about. I actually went over it this past job a little bit. And the first thing I noticed right away was that you discuss private sensitive subject matter and you have real discussions about it. You really, you talk about it. You don't skirt the issue. And I'm curious how that came about, because when I was preparing for my wedding about 23 years ago, um, it was very different, the discussion around these subject matters. And I will add that when I went on Shluchas and began my involvement in, in my community originally in California, it was fascinating to me to see how the typical um, Americanized American, let's say Ashkenazic descent woman was had very little education or awareness around mikvah, while I noticed at the mikvah in California, there was many Sephardic women that did not look religious, that knew about mikvah and knew the holiness. And even though they were not traditionally uh, observant, this was a mitzvah that they were keeping. And I always wondered about that. You know, maybe it was because the Ashkenazic grandmothers um, were afraid to broach the subject about this sensitive subject matter, while the Sephardic women, we know that they make this big um, party before the mikvah and it's talked about. But anyway, that's just my own discussion. But I'm just curious to understand about the origin of this book and why you both felt so compelled to bring it into this world now. And I'm sure you worked in it for many years. I mean, obviously books take a long time, but what happened that made you both bring this book 
into this world. Well, you know, they talk about the tipping point. So you have drip, 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 and then you come to a tipping point and you just can't ignore whatever it is that the subject is. And that's, I think, what happened to both of us. Um, for Sara, it's, it's, it's very natural that she should get these kinds of calls from individuals because she's been teaching Kala's um, in Crown Heights and Kala teachers in Crown Heights for a very, very long time and in the seminary. So she has, or you could say, there are thousands of people that have access to her and would turn to her because they learned that they could trust both her wide and deep knowledge and her sense of sensitivity and humanity. Uh, for me, I'm not sure, but my working thesis is that Lubavitcher women were perhaps also listening in on the talks I was giving to more secular cohorts. And uh, they were hearing things spoken about in a more open way than they were used to. And so they started calling me on the phone or sending me messages uh, in different ways very often um, anonymously, and I could tell there was so much pain, there was so much trepidation in the voice or in the way the message was couched. And it was clear that a lot of people were suffering around this issue and that that does not need to be the case. There is enough suffering and angst in this world that we can't, we can't heal. We don't have a magic wand, how we wish we could. But this was something that we felt we could make a contribution and prophylactically save people pain, angst. I, I wanna add something very important and that is um, exposure. So it's true, I think maybe in the Sephardi countries, I, I, this is just a speculation. I also come from Montreal, huge Sephardi population. My parents built a mikvah, I used the mikvah and I would come to the mikvah and not only do the women, Sephardi women come to the mikvah, they actually bring their daughters to wait in the waiting room. There was a shopping center across the street, I think it was called Cavendish Mall. And oh, and my students, I taught in high school. I could be their teacher and they're waiting in the waiting room. And mikvah was perpetuated, although perhaps maybe the details, you know, sometimes have to be polished when it comes from mother to daughter, but that, that was the beauty of it. And perhaps in the Ashkenazi world, and maybe there was an undertone of maybe uh, other religions kind of like shunning, you know, I, I don't know. But this book doesn't really talk about Tarsan Shpacha, it really talks about intimacy. And my motivation just even when I started teaching more in the school system, you know, out of the school system is one thing, but in the school system about intimacy in seminary, you know, I had to, I had to, I had to ask myself, is this something the Rebbe would want? I'm, I want to go, I'm a Lubavitcher Chassid over here. And it's clear from the Rebbe's messages that we have collected that in the days of exposure, it's our obligation. It's not just like, oh, we have to, you know, if something happens, go repair it, but we have to preempt that. And we have to actually, teach our young women, uh, young girls, whatever, women, our teens, or maybe now even earlier, the beauty, like the concepts of Kedusha and the Torah concepts, the beauty before they hear the secular view to understand that Torah, the Torah lifestyle, it's passionate, it's holy, it's loving, it's beautiful. All these messages really are necessary instead of having what I have is, so many girls are like so pained because they have to do their own research and then when I tell them the hashkafa, tar hashkafa, the hashkafa, the outlook from Chassidus, they're like, wow, this is so beautiful. Like, why did nobody tell us? Like, the silence on the subject produced more guilt and shame. That was the underlying message. So, yeah, I, I went, oh, and I got really frustrated. You asked me what was the tipping point. One day I got really frustrated because the question, I, I had probably just come back from a Shabbaton or something. And the amount of questions I got from the most pure, innocent, lovely, wonderful young woman who felt so deprived. I, I, I remember I called Rifki. It was before COVID, right before COVID. I said, Rifki, like, I'm not a speaker. You know, start talking. It's talking to the girls. I get on Instagram. And Rifki says, we're writing a book. I still remember this. I don't know if I remember this. I said, Rifki, who reads a book nowadays? She goes, people read books. It's authentic. It's not about sensation. And it's not about influencers. It's about truth. And it started before COVID and we had some, you know, pauses due to COVID and real life, Bar Hashem, sometimes Simchas and sometimes whatever. And Bar Hashem, we came to this point. I do think that an Instagram handle with the two of you are, are 
having somebody else run it for you with little snippets could be also incredible. Just saying, because today's generation wants, um, you know, little sound bites. Thank you. Um, that, that said, um, this is perfect timing, I think, for this book. It's desperately needed. I actually got some feedback from some of the people that have read the book, just a few people. And I found it interesting because the younger, younger ladies that were reading it were saying they were such, such a sense of excitement and a feeling of happiness. Like, oh, I'm so happy they're talking about it. I'm so, um, they're talking in very clear terms and they're using terminology like sex and sexual intimacy. And the older demographic was saying like, like a little bit of disbelief, like, why does this need to be discussed? Why do, why do we need a book like this? You know, we all figured it out for ourselves. My mother didn't tell me one word. We didn't talk about it with my mother and we all figured it out. What would you say to that, to the older demographic that's expressing those concerns or those, I mean, it's hard to believe that there are people that still think that way, but there are. They lived in a different world. They lived in a different world. But the world that our children, that our sisters, that our nieces, that our granddaughters are coming into is completely different. Uh, you know, I keep referencing this. People don't realize, they probably wouldn't believe that the first time that the American public, the Western public, saw a man and a woman in the same bed on TV and in movies was only in the 1960s. So close your eyes and think for a nanosecond just how radically our world has changed. You could be walking to the grocery to pick up a bottle of milk and, and you see more than that on a, on a billboard. So how can people compare the world they lived in and the world we live in now? And especially as Lubavitcher Hasidim, I mean, it's so clear from the Rebbe that the Rebbe was already talking at that time in the 60s, in the 70s, that the world is different and that people might say, how could you talk about these things? And the Rebbe said, you're not going to be teaching them anything. These young people that you think you're, you're exposing them, they know more than you. But what they're lacking is the context. They're lacking the Torah. They're lacking the mitzvahs. They're lacking the Yerushimayim. So the question is not how could this be done. The question is how dare it not be done. And if the, if the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result, then it would be an act of profound insanity not to bring this information to our young people. I, I want to add two details. First of all, I'm not sure that everybody who just figured everybody just figured out on their own. That's true. I, I could say because I'm in the business, okay, and I get the calls and I get the stories, and I'm gonna not say anything, but let me tell you. A lot of people did figure it out sooner or later, and there still was a lot of suffering, undue suffering in all the matters. It's not just in intimacy and Tarsha there was abuse, if there was pregnancy loss. Who did they talk to? They, they just kept it all quiet. There was no, what do you do with all this information? The, the, it, it, it did, uh, it, the differences in those days, people, the pain, we, we, we were more resilient. Maybe if we suffered or we were frustrated, we just kind of kept going. We buried our feelings and 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 that's it. So that's number one. Number two, I don't want you to think that Rifki and I just decided on our own, we're just doing this. As good chsidim, we asked our mashpiyim, mashpiyais, we, we consulted with people that we felt would give us the right perspective. And once we got the go-ahead, we, we jumped into it fully. And if you notice, even the subject matter that we cover, everything is footnoted, everything is sourced. It's not, we wanted to put something authentic. It's not that Rifki and Sarah decided that this is the answer to this question. You know, it's true. It's based on our combined experiences and many, many, many conversations over the years. It's true. A lot of the practical end of it or the Mishalim, the examples we give or the terminology or the psychology or the emotions are based on our counseling so many people together but the 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 um the real stuff where it all starts from you know the actual facts everything is sourced it really the premise, it, the pre not to, not to belabor the point not to beat a dead horse but the premise is so fallacious because people's shabbos tables don't look like their grandmother's shabbos tables necessarily the menu is different than what their mothers made they're cooking with spices their mothers never, ever heard of. And that's just the very beginning. So to think that this part of life, which is actually the nexus of all that is most important, most important, 
this should remain a relic of the past while the world continues in untrammeled fashion to change and evolve and move forward. The whole thing doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, but they they like to say that, well, something should be private. Something should stay in the bedroom. And that's that's where they build it on. But but you know I, what? I do... if they read the book, they will see that exact message jump off the page over and over and over again. So here's what I think is going to happen. Some of the older people might be shocked by some of the subject matter that we do speak of that has not been addressed in such an open fashion before. But you know what our younger people are going to get? They've seen all these terms. They've seen all these words. That This is old hat. What they're going to get is, oh my goodness, so much of Tyrus, so much of Hasidus, hundreds of Sichas, hundreds of Maimarim, hundreds of answers from the Rebbe that are referenced here. So really what we've done is taken a gem. And that is our intimacy. And we've given it a setting so that the colors and the cuts can shine can yeah. be seen in full beauty so it's counter it's 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 so it's so um paradoxical because yeah. the people who are looking for salacious they're not going to find salacious they found all the salacious now they're going to find the grounding yeah, and the people who have the grounding but might not have the icius i'm not saying their grounding is based on it's not it was a different time it was it's it's based on something that's maybe even transcendent it's pshitas for them, yes, some of the things, and you know what? We were, when we started, just as shocked. And I, I still remember questions I got 30 years ago, 35 years ago. I remember women crying to me, and I have to call Rabbanim. And I, I think that I turned every color of the rainbow in those conversations. But when you hear these questions hundreds of thousands of times, and they're not just coming from people in your community who didn't grow up the way you did. They're coming from your own community. You know that something has to give. And and maybe I'm being a bit more daring over here, but I feel if I had a choice to owe it to my, the elders or to owe it to my children, hands down, my children are going to get it. And my, 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 when my students heard about this book, I got a standing ovation and I'm not just saying a standing ovation. I got so many mazel tovs, so many thank yous. And even now, how many people read it? Like they bought it and read it and like, thank you, thank you. And I gave it to this one. I gave it to that one because they're in it. They are the ones that are suffering, not us. Our grandmothers aren't suffering. They're happy. These children are, are exposed. And even the ones that you think aren't exposed, the conversations are everywhere. You don't have to open up the internet to be exposed. The conversations are everywhere. It, it actually brings opening to mind when you internet. who's opening the internet we're all on the on the end we're not opening it that's different we, we I, in the metaverse and what we're saying is that there is a creator of the universe of of every strata of the universe but you know what sarla really you're doing the grandmothers and the great grandmothers the biggest favor because what do they need and what do they want only chasidish yiddish nachas and that's what this book is aimed for I have a, I, something that you said, Sarah, that brought something up for me when I was listening is it, talking about this topic. You know, it's it's like parents who are trying to teach their children on a different topic completely about inappropriate touch. You know, you try to teach your children. What do we know about, you know, molestation, all this? We need to teach our children what's inappropriate touch. But to start teaching about inappropriate touch, you need to begin by teaching what is appropriate touch. And even that subject to explain that to children on the level that they can understand and a level that's appropriate for a child is also so important. And you cannot teach inappropriate touch until you teach appropriate touch. Yeah. So like that and also brought can, something up for me. And you can't teach any of it if you are suffering inner angst, turmoil, disequilibrium on this topic. And from the feedback, at least that, I mean, I know both of us have gotten this kind of feedback. Women are saying for the first time, they, they're seeing words on a page that reflects so much of what was roiling within them. And I can tell you, I feel very strongly about this. I deal with young women who bring their college teachers' angst into their marriages. Forget about their own. They are bringing baggage from people who clearly, clearly 
had issues with understanding sexuality and relationships and being comfortable with their body. And they superimposed it on the next generation. And this goes on and on and on. And we can't just stand by. Yeah, I got a lot of comments, um, women, old like Bubby women. I wish I wish I had this when I got married. I wish wow. I had this. Um, I don't That's, want to, uh, I could yeah, share. She sounds Bubby women, like we're not Bubby women. But, <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, because I'm going back to that, that yes, perhaps there's a group that it worked for them. They didn't have the knowledge, whatever, but there are plenty that could, can use this knowledge. And I want to tell you the reason we had that, I don't know if you see the, the, the way we set up the book, like first we have like a thought that we call, first we have like the Hashkafa, like the thought processes. And then we put it down to, and then these questions will come up based on this philosophy. Right. There's words that you could use for yourself to explain it to your daughter, to your sister, to your child, because when you have the proper words, the proper examples, we we added the anecdotes, we added the mishalim, the examples, so that we can have, like you said, like when you know when you're comfortable with the topic yourself. This came up because we had um, a mikvah.org we created years ago. We probably have to update it a series called Conversations with Our Children about the importance of parents educating their children on the topic of intimacy, age appropriate. It, it, then it was novel, it was new for Chabad anyways, and a lot of research went in. But following that, we had so much feedback, I don't know how to talk about this topic myself. So following that, we had a series called Divinity and Marriage, and we had different people talk about intimacy. But how could you get in an hour and a half class, you know, What's available, and you don't know what your children, your child is going to ask you, or your teen is going to ask you. So we put in the book. Literally, none of these questions were made up. We took the like thirty most asked questions that were repeated over and over and over over again by our students. And I, over these were like the most often asked questions, and we felt educators, parents, and the students themselves should have direct access. Yeah, I have a question. Um, as you're speaking, there's something that came up. I noticed that when I was reading the book and I, I want to say, I didn't read all of it. I love the format, like the way you did with the Sheva Brachas and like taking the different Bracha and explaining it and then, then going deeper into it. I noticed that one thing that, and this is something that I have a question about. You explain an idea on a different, like, let's say something that is permitted. And then you say, um, there's different levels, meaning there's, this is what's permitted. And then there's things that are like on a higher level and not want to say a lower level. Like for example, um, it's better to be intimate on a Friday, you know, Friday night. It's better to be intimate with the lights off. It's better to have your hair covered while you're while you're being intimate. So all these different things. The question I have that comes up for me is when we teach something with different levels, and which we have to, obviously, because that's how that's the halacha, how do we avoid the feeling of guilt and shame when one spouse wants something different? So if your spouse comes to you and the spouse wants something different, then you were taught it's kosher, but it's not, it's not the higher level. How does, what would you answer to a, a call that came to you or a, a woman that's married that's, that's saying that to you? What would you say? What would you say to them? So How do we avoid I, shame? Before I get to the answer, I just want to modify that question a bit because you gave three examples that each one has a different level of even halachic significance. Right, right. Friday night, it's appropriate. It's best. It's a great practice, especially according to Kabbalah. Having lights off during intercourse is of a different category. That says in Shulchan Aruch. And then hair covered? No, you don't have to have your hair covered up in aloha. Perhaps there's a custom of desire during the actual, um, you know, actual intercourse, not during fore foreplay, or maybe there are different mahogany on that. So I just wanted to clarify that this is not yes. all the same. Okay, so let me so okay, so let me give an example. If there's something that they learned that is in the gray area of it's not our way, it's not really considered okay, and yet. A one spouse desires this intimate act while the other has learned that it's not necessarily the way it should be done. What, how would you answer this spouse in a way that's going to bring them to a place of shalom bias and to a place of peace and not, again, shame and guilt around something that their spouse wants? There are a lot of layers, and I'm sure that anything I say, Sarah will add to that, because there are a lot, a lot of layers to this very, very important question. And we address it often and from many different perspectives with, you know, in the pages of the book. But there are two poles here. There's his there's the desire to 
elevate this most holy part of our life to the highest level possible. And at the same time, there's the practical, there's how this is going to play out in each person's bedroom. And so the, there's a tension between the two for some couples. And one of the things we speak about is chachmas nashim ban sabesa, and that that according to what the Rebbe is saying, that the woman has the ability in her own very specific way to sometimes form her husband's desire. It has to be done with discretion. It has to be done with discernment. We bring um, a number of sikhs where the Rebbe speaks about the mirrors of the women in Mitzrayim and how on the face of it, Moshe Rabbeinu was repulsed by this. But what the Ebeshter was telling, what the Ebeshter was teaching us is that these women were nashim tzitkaniyas. They knew exactly what they were doing and they knew exactly what they had to do. And these were the most precious items from which the kir was made. And the kir was really the portal to all of Avaitis Hashem and the base of Midrash, because every Goyen had to wash his hands and his feet before going in. So there's a lot, a lot of depth here. And one of the things we uncovered in our research is that the kir is the only one of the kalim that doesn't have dimensions. Why? Because the Abishta wanted to use every woman's mirror every woman's mirror. And however large it will be, it will be when all of that material was used for this purpose. Now, if you funnel that back through the Rebbe's prism, Rebbe is saying that women were giving Chachma a special bina from the Abishter. They know what has to be done. So what we want to do here is not just give information. We want to empower women to trust their guts, to understand and to speak to their mashpia when necessary, and to ask a rub when necessary, but to give them agency that what is for them the proper thing is not necessarily for their sister, their sister-in-law, their granddaughter, and their grandmother. And one of the most destructive forces today, and a lot of this is due to social media, is the complete breakdown of discretion that should inform this subject in life. And not because we're prudish and not because, you know, forget about all the holy levels, simply because it is counterproductive. Nay, it is absolutely noxious and dangerous to your intimate relationship to be constantly comparing it and contrasting it to someone else's. In fact, it's oxymoronic because intimacy is supposed to be about exclusivity. That's what intimacy means. So it's not going to look the same for everyone. And it's not even going to look the same for the same couple at different points in their life for whatever reasons. And there's push-pull and we speak about struggle and we talk about the bainani and how precious this is to the Abishra as opposed to the avoid of the tzaddik. We acknowledge that there's going to be ups and downs. This is not, that progress does not necessarily happen in a linear flow. And, uh, and that this is something that, that we, we, you know, it's a struggle like in every other area of life, but it doesn't have to suffer from the silence that was smothering it. So I want to add more on a practical level. It's answer to your question directly as far as when there are different levels. So I like when it's like framed in almost like a three-step process. Number one is education. There's sometimes misinformation. Either the husband or wife have no idea like in what level it is that there, there's a difference like basic halacha versus yeah added minig that definitely enhances a bedroom if it makes you both happy. Sometimes there's just the frame of reference is very different. And going back to basic education is so important. The couple can choose any safer they want, a whatever safer they choose, if they want to choose a rov. But it's good for the couple together to actually learn, make sure they're playing whatever, they're playing the game according to the same rules. A lot of times it's not because one is, the differences come from just misinformation or not clarity. That's number one. Number two, there's something called communication. You know, we come with the premise that every husband and wife truly wants what's best for both of them or best for them. You know, in a healthy relationship, you go out of your comfort zone, make the other one happy because you know, ultimately, when you're both happy, the whole house will shine, right? So communicating needs and wants and desires, it's part of a conversation that couples have always. Things, like you mentioned, things change. There, there are different hormonal changes, there are different stress factors, sometimes medication, illness. 
an environment. There's so many factors that play into people's needs and wants and desires. And if people could be honest, make themselves vulnerable and be honest with each other. Again, not because they saw it on the, some, somebody else and 100,000 people are doing this. So that's why I want to taste it because it sounds so good. Like really be there for each other. Um, a lot of the, just through commu honest communication, a lot of differences can be resolved between each other or they can meet, meet each other halfway or take turns or whatever. But, and the third important point I want to say is there still will be a demographic, even with the holy sikhs and everything, that the requests, you know, of the husband to the wife or the wife to the husband, because it could go both ways, are not coming from a healthy place. There could be an underlying unhealthy either issue with a shalom bias. There's a power struggle and they want to display it this way. Or there can be an addiction or some other disconnect in their life that they're not really emotionally connected and they're using their bodies just to pacify and make themselves feel good. But there's something lacking the undergoing shalom bias. And that also is something that we have to talk about, that the Isaritsain Bayla and all the Hashkafa and all the, but still to be honest and sometimes reaching out, sometimes you won't see it on your own, but reaching out to uh, an objective party, you know, the mentor, the coach, the mashpe or whatever, could help you ask yourselves those questions. Like what's really going on here? So what I'm hearing you say is, is that, I think in these moments where you have these these feelings, you should go and speak with somebody that you trust and discuss it and get another person's opinion and, and really see where it's coming from so that you really can look and say and have an honest communication with your spouse about this in a in a respectful, kind way. And then sometimes there's more going on that meets the eye. I would say first try, first try communicating with your spouse and see where, to get, where it gets. No, no, that's what I mean. I I mean first, uh, absolutely. I mean, in most healthy marriages, you know, you have a com conversation about it mm -hmm. and I don't know necessarily at that moment, maybe, maybe, you know, right. a little bit later on when you're both right. in a calm state of mind to really discuss it. And then if you need more, you go to somebody else. Exactly. Okay. So that, that's, that's, that's a fair, that's a fair answer. Um, I wanted to step over for a second to marriage just for a quick second, because I value both of your opinions on this and it may not be exactly what the book talks about, but a question on marriage, according to your own life experiences, and your years of working with Kalas and helping guide people, in, in your opinion, what do you think is one of the most, the number one thing that a couple needs to be tapping into or needs to be working on in order to have a successful marriage? I don't mean for this to sound high in the sky, like all philosophical, but I really do believe that there are, there are two arcs meta arcs in our book that, that answer your question. One is we begin with Gan Eden. We trace the story of what happens to Gan Eden, how that changes humanity, how that changes the world, how our Aveda is to redress the disjunction between body and soul that began then, and how we are all working towards Yemais HaMashiach. And we don't mean this from any like frumi, you know, abstruse theological perspective. We mean this in the most practical way that our intimacies with our husband must be understood within the larger trajectory of history. And our intimacies with our husbands is a reflection of our cosmic intimacy with the Bayer Elam. And if we can give our readers even a little bit of this, you know, a, a much more conventional way of saying this is the Yud and the Ish and the He and the Isha. And when they have the Yud K, then, then you have the Shekhinah Shruya B'Nehem and, and they're, they're tethering their lives to something transcendent. And that allows them to tap into something larger beyond my desire, your desire, and the push-pull and the friction that can occur because they realize that they recognize they're working for something larger. And so what so I'm hearing you say is that, that they need to have a Shem, that the one number thing that a successful marriage should have is have a healthy relationship with Hashem in their marriage, a third partner we, there. We even actually bring down in one of the, in one of the footnotes a secular study that traces a, a qualitative study where women speak about their intimate lives. And it's the women who are religious who seem to have a more vibrant, 
robust um, experience with sexual intimacy. And that's not happenstance. Uh, the second thing that we try to convey in our book is, and you, you talked earlier about how the book talks about this and that and the other, because for us, you can't take intimacy out of the larger context. It's all about context. And there is no part of our life that is disconnected from intimacy, is understanding that all of life is one uninterrupted intimacy. It's just a matter of how you express it. And there's, there's intimacy that takes place in the bedroom that is fed by the intimacy that takes place outside of the bedroom in every aspect of life. And there's biofeedback there. It's, it's, you know, each one enriches the other. So when you ask about, you know, tips for marriage, these are the two that, that jump off the page for me. Put it into something larger and understand that intimacy is not a cubicle. It's, it's not a compartment. Everything. It's not a draw in the overall dresser of life. It no. is a dresser. So Rifki likes to say about the bracha, I think it's an interesting point of the bracha and kiddushin. Yeah, I, I mean, okay, I, don't have, I don't have a source for it, but um, but by, I've definitely been asked hundreds and hundreds of times, which is how I came to think about it this way. Why is there no blessing made before intercourse? You make a blessing over every mitzvah. You're teaching us that this is the most important mitzvah, that this is the highest, the holiest well, that two people can do. Why no bracha? Maybe, but after we could say that the bracha that's made by the Masada Kedushin under the chuppah on Kedushin is one bracha over all the intimacies of their life. But then what are you going to do with the fact that there's a hefzik between when the bracha was made and, and the intimacy that's going to take place 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, 50 years later? The answer is there is no hefzik. All of life is one uninterrupted trajectory of intimacy. It takes different expression. It's, 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 uh, it's showcased in different ways. And I think that if we could teach our children that, then we've given them the greatest gift. And I think those people who see this modeled, when you grow up in a home, and you see that modeled by your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents. You, you can't replicate that. It's something you, it's something that you ingest by osmosis. So, um, by the way, Rifki, later I'll tell you there are some halachic responses for that particular question about the time. I know you think my father hasn't gone through them with me. Okay, whatever. But I love that explanation. I do want to also add a good muscle, like in the olden days the house was a run room house. It was so much easier to have this concept that there's no compartments. It's not like we make love in the bedroom and we eat in the kitchen. And we learn in the study and these are the kids' bedrooms and this is the backyard. Everything was, it was a one-stop shop. It was a, one, a run room house. Now with all the different compartments, like people say, okay, we make love here. We do this there. We do this there. We do we, like as if we're like different parts. But we, we, but we have to remember the main point. The intimacy is everywhere. But I, me, I don't know if you noticed, Razel, I'm usually got kind of the more practical one when it comes to the questions and answers. I think there's a very another important tip to remember that we're not static. We're fluctuating people. We touched upon that before. And in the reality of life, our the way we express ourselves with each other or even our connection to the Eberster and the reality that the Eberster is in our particular marriage may take on different shape and form and we have to we have to understand that as a reality until Mashiach comes we it's we're avida it, there's gonna be work and sometimes we'll as human beings we're as the Bainan and, Ta, and Tanya like there's a lot of struggle and a lot of work and it's supposed to be like that it's not like a it, it's, it's not a flat this is what we do and it, as long as they're within halacha, because it goes back to what you said earlier, you know, some things are halacha, some people are just scotches, that extra, even within a couple to accept the reality that within our lives, we will be going up and down and back and forth. 
like in a little pending, hopefully always moving forward. But in the reality of things, the other factors that affect our lives will have an impact on our intimacies. And to put this, like, and we we bring in a muscle of like the Beis Hamikdash. You know, there's the Kodesh Kedoshim that the Kain Gadol enters once a year, only the Kain Gadol on Yom Kippur, the Holy of Holies. Then we have the Vaida that took place on a daily basis. You like the Menorah, you bring the Kataras, you know, or the Shofan, where, you know, once a week we put in the uh, the uh, Lechem Apadim. But most of the stuff of life, like the, like the hard work, like working with those animals, like the dirty stuff, the messy stuff, that was every day, all the time. Like the majority of the Yidin, life is, life can be messy. Don't be afraid of messiness. It's part of life. And don't let that, cut off your intimacy, God forbid, but it may take on a different flavor and that's okay within halacha, of course. So like, I like the mushroom, like I gave like wine, you could drink wine for Kiddush and that's a mitzvah. You could drink wine, bring a nice bottle of wine to your Shabbos table because part of Enoch Shabbos, you elevate it that way. Or you can have an ordinary day, you want to drink wine with your husband, you make a bracha and it's kosher wine. That's also holy. When we talk about that, and what we what happened after the chait and the avoda, it's connecting or combining or every day with with Debishter, with God, and that takes on so many different shapes and forms that it, it's not a one size fits all, not throughout. And that's why going back to what Rifki mentioned before, the importance of exclusivity and privacy, because you really have your intimacy is making yourself vulnerable. With your husband, he can make him he feel safe, make himself vulnerable. And it's what you share between you, because that's what works for you today. Tomorrow, there might be an, something else thrown in the mix, and something else may work better. We don't know. And that's an ongoing co- conversation. So the first point I wanted to mention was about change, like don't be afraid of fluctuation. That's part of life where sometimes it's messier than others. And work through and the important I, I think I mentioned before but communication like, to make it a standard practice in your life just like you discuss the budget you're not going to neglect it and just like you discuss parenting and just like you discuss when you can do vacations or how you're going to make Pesach it's super important to have conversations about how you are intimate if it's satisfying for both of you it's a conversation it's an important conversation but women I think people women can't have conversations when they are not taught that it's okay to have a conversation about this, or they infer that it's not okay, or somehow they're tainted if they want pleasure, or they want to tell their husbands what's particularly pleasurable, and so on and so forth. Um, I think that we take for granted in this book that we're presenting to women who have your Shemayim, who want to be in a robust relationship with their creator. They want to be in a robust relationship with their spouse. And sometimes people suffer inhibition based on false premises. And again, that's something we hope we can give our readership as a gift, the permission to talk about this with their spouses need to have language also to be able to talk about these issues. And I think that's another piece yes. to be able to speak. You need to, to communicate. You first need to know the language of what you're saying even. And each woman's mirror is going to reflect a different reality. And that's okay. Her mirror was necessary for the Kiev. Not just her sisters, not just her Hasidish cousin, not just her Uber from, uh, you know, uh, neighbor. Grandmother. Her her mirror, her mirror is precious to the Abishnah. Hey, let me take a different turn here for a second. Being that I'm in the interviewer seat here. And this question's to both of you, whoever wants to answer first is fine. But what is something that you thought you knew really well or were definitely sure about with regard to the topic of marriage, intimacy, mikvah, but after years of life experience and working with kalas or working with people that you changed your opinion on? So that's a great question, but I really have to think about it. I would say, I can't speak for Sarah. I would say for myself, the older I get, the more I understand I don't know. The more humility in the face of life's complexity, in the face of the variation 
that presents itself in the face of the fact that everybody is different, just their constitution is different, their cognition, their emotive palette is different. Humility. Um, yeah, it's, it's not just about information because information is widely available. We live in an information glut. It's the wisdom that's lacking. And the DAS, which is how to take these ideas and apply them practically. And uh, so I would say, to, uh, what I've learned is, you know, never judge, never judge. You don't know. Um, things are not black or white. There is a gazillion shades of gray. And that you have to respect, you have to respect that and constantly be in, in awe of, of that of that truth. Sarah, what about you? You asked me what I learned. Well, I was, I learned probably like all the grandmothers that are wondering why this book has to be written. So definitely every time somebody asked me a question, I'm like, hmm, because I was the type that you tell me to do this, I'll just do it. You know, no questions asked. This is what we do. Don't ask, don't, don't start making complications. And then everything I know today was really as a result of a question that one of my students asked me. I'm like, hey, well, why do we do that? Like, or is there another opinion? Or is that really halacha? Or it? So I had a huge growing curve from the um, Kedusha perspective or like halacha versus minig and chasidish anhaga, you know? I had a huge growth curve when I learned different the emotional aspect or the underpinnings just hormonally and the complexity of how mental health so much plays into healthy intimacy as well, which we, it's, it's really broad and it's really deep and it's, there's so much to it because especially nowadays where we're so much more aware of mental health. So I learned a lot about that. Um, but what I really learned was when I used to come and teach by Zihudi, it was all about marriage per se. And now it's all about the Abishter's input in the marriage to put more Abishter in every conversation. And that is so refreshing because I think um, the world became more and more like self-centered. Like it used to be like you don't do certain things in certain places because it's not accepted, Right. It's a past or like you behave a certain way because that's what your family does. That's what your community does. That's what you do in America. Maybe you don't do it in England. You know, I grew up in Montreal where a kiss, Shalom uh, Aleichem, uh, uh, wasn't just a handshake. It was a handshake and a kiss on the first cheek and the second cheek and back to the first one. You do that in England, like that's molestation. I'm going to say, you know, it's like borders <laughs> and boundaries, you know, inappropriate. Yeah. And more and more when there is such a shift towards, it's not about the society, you know, it's what I, you know, it's about me and me and me. What I see just with the so many people that I deal with, like, and that I teach, the more we put the Abishter in the picture and use the words to make the Abishter real in the conversation, not just with abstract words of Chassidus, but we bring down the words in everyday language the more the eyes are wide open and the smiles go on the faces. I think people push it need the Avishter part of their life and every day. And that's something that I definitely learned over the years, more and more how effective- Science, a science agrees with you now too. Lisa, I think, forget her name. She wrote the book, The Awakened Brain. And she's actually proven it with science too, that spirituality is, necess is necessary to live a full, happy life, robust life. Um, Okay, let's just to finish off, if you have any parting words that you want to share with listeners. I would say um, I don't want anyone to think that me and Sarah believe for a nanosecond that this book is for every person to read. It is beferish not. And um, people have been asking us, should I have my daughters read this? Should my daughters read this? Every daughter is different, not just in age but also in terms of their inner landscape, what they've been exposed to, what they haven't been exposed to. So um, it's from a place of, of deep understanding uh, that we come to this, that there are people for whom this is the perfect book and there are people for whom this is totally not. 
and we're not putting it out there as a one size fit all. I don't know that it's a book for, I can't think of anybody that would be not a book for it. I, you might say, oh, I know this. So, um, you know, this is, oh, it's, it's always a refresher. I'm married 23 years. I'm reading it. And I'm like, hmm, I need to go and review this a little bit more. It's, it's, I, I think there might be people for whom it's not the right book right now in their right life. Now. Okay. Maybe they're, they live a very, very, you know, sheltered um, life. And, and this will bring a lot of things to the fore that they don't have to deal with now. We understand that. That's, that's, that's one thing I wanted to put out there. Um, the other thing I would end with is saying that what we try to convey is that sexual intimacy is both something that we want to make people more knowledgeable about. And at the same time, even more vociferously, we want them to understand that there's an unknowable aspect that can never be grasped. So to know the unknowable, and that's what we hope people will take away from the book. So there are certain things they can learn, certain things that will, we hope, enrich their lives and deepen their experience and help um, allay fears and help preempt unnecessary angst and conflict and even crises. That's on the one hand. And on the other hand, we all have to come away with understanding that, that this is this is a Kaidish Hagadoshan. Nobody goes into the Kaidish Hagadoshan. Not even the Kain Gadol goes in. He goes in, but he doesn't really go in. And th that I think is a message that we hope people can take away. Realize just how sacred this ground is. And you can't treat it like every other area of life. You can't, because it's not. Uh, I, I just want to say that this book, I hope, um, gives um, gives the right values, the right Torah values, the right values of Pichsidis. But it's only a conversation starter. That means. This book gives you context. It gives you, there's a lot of ideas in the book and definitely women could reread it a, a few years later. Even when I read the book, I hadn't read some of the chapters, I read, you know, a few months later, I read it and said, wow, or hey, we have to add this in. There's more to the topic. This is not the end of the story. This is chapter one. Like people joke with me, okay, when are you doing the next book? When is the sequel coming out? I said, hold on. We have to sit with this one first. This book is chapter one. Chapter two, or the rest of the chapters, take in your own life and see what you could take out, unpack, process, help your marriage be richer, more passionate, more godly, more transcendent, more pleasurable, more healthy. And every couple should write their, their next chapter, really. Great takeaway. I wanna thank you both for your time and for putting this effort and years I'm sure that it took to write this because it's definitely needed and I can't think of a better time than now, so. Thank you, um, Razel, for having us and promoting our book. And I also wanna thank you for all the other wonderful work you do. I listen to some of your other podcasts and it's really such a good service for people. I was gonna say the Jewish people, but the truth is it's for mankind, really. I really thank you. You I actually have people in my community that listen to my podcast and then it's it's quite fascinating. These are not religious people at all. And they're like, they have questions for me afterwards. I'm like, wow, there's no there's no borders anymore. You know, our communities, our our worlds have merged all of these worlds. Well, you see, so look at what you just said. This brings us full circle. This brings us full circle to your question of what do you answer to the people who are saying, what what kind of book is this? Who, who puts these things in a book? Because we live, not, they used to say we lived in, you know, in one uh, village. Now we're all living in the same room. It doesn't matter if it's a kid in Crown Heights or a student in Binghamton. And, and therefore, the Rebbe taught us that our way is not to, you know, circle the wagon and insulate ourselves. Of course, we have to strengthen ourselves. That's Hasidus Chabad, which is what this book is about. It's about knowledge. It's about Chabad but we have to be able to confront the world and be shining examples. And the world is looking to us. 
So we owe it not just to our personal marriages, but, but this is what we are. We're nearest lahair. So how can we hold up our flame, our candle strongly when you know there are winds that are blowing at it from within? We we hope that we can make a small tiny contribution towards strengthening that. Yes, you have. So thank you both again and wishing you a, a wonderful rest of your day. And mm -hmm.